Happy Father's Day, Shore Church. Welcome those who are tuning in. Dads, we love you. We appreciate all that you do. So happy Father's Day. Uh, you know, this would be the day that you get uh, dad's root beer and cookies. And unfortunately, we can't hand it out to you today. Uh, but glad you're here. It's also uh, National Indigenous Peoples Day. And so, you know, as we're in this season where we're trying to learn and stand with those whose uh, voices, you know, haven't been heard and, and, and uh, as we as a church are just looking for ways to honor every eth- ethnicity and just be there, we want to just honor them as well today. Uh, as image bearers of God, we want to work with you for justice uh, along with everyone. So, so let me just get right into it. Uh, the book of Amos, we're in the second uh, sermon in this series. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Amos chapter 1. We're going to try to do two chapters today. We started last week with an introduction of where we're going in Amos. We only covered two verses. And so if you missed that, please go back, listen to that sermon. Um, And so that's where we're going. We're looking today, uh, big picture, God is roaring. God is roaring towards the injustice against people. And today, uh, Amos 1 and 2 are going to be his view, his judgments on those injustices. And so uh, we're going to be looking at those together. We have so much text to cover, so we're just going to jump right into it. So with no further ado, we're going to hear our church read from God's word. Amos 1, 3. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledge of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael and it shall devour the strongholds of Benadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and will cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Aden. And him who holds the scepter from Bethaden and the people of Syria shall go to exile to Ker, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my head against Ekron and the remnants of the Philistine shall perish, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Bozrah. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of the battle, with the tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together. Chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke him the punishment, because he burned to lime, the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth, and Moab shall die amid the uproar. 
amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray after those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell their righteousness, the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father going to the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside um, every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you for forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and, the commanded, and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you in your place, as a cart full of sheaths presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and strong, the strong shall not retain his strength, nor the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand. He who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides a horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. All right, thank you, Joel and Des. That was beautiful. Uh, nothing like those texts on Father's Day. Okay, let me pray. So, Father, I just I thank you for this time. Father, I just want to pray right now that as we listen to your word, as, as we want to submit our lives to your word, uh, as we come into oracles of judgment, I just want to now just command any uh, spirits of condemnation, any spirits of shame, and any spirits of fear, I command them in Jesus' name to be still and silent and mute. And so, Father, I just, I pray that as we get into this, we, we would pick up your heart. We would, we would, we would if, if, there's, if there's any apathy that, that it would die today. I ask that you would rush our hearts. Um, God, may we never be comfortable with evil. And I just, I pray that you would give us hearts um, that are ready this morning, ready to just receive your word. So I pray for that miracle. Lord, I ask that you'd give me the spiritual gift of teaching now and of preaching that as I preach, Holy Spirit, you would just really edify and build up. So I give you this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to begin and just say this. The gospel frees us to face this stuff. The gospel frees you and I as followers of Jesus to face these kinds of things, to not run from these things, but to face them. Meaning this, as we read Amos in light of Jesus and as apprentices of Jesus, and, and we hear the assessment of injustice and his indictment on complacent people. Um, we're to think this, conviction is good. 
right? We're, we're, we're to have, it's okay for us to come away from a sermon like this and feel in our soul that there's more to do, that, that there's more we could be doing, there's more I should be doing. That's okay, not as a way to earn or gain acceptance, but from a place of acceptance. Because Jesus has really covered the shame. You don't have to run away from the problem or the tension. Again, the gospel frees us to face this stuff. And in Amos, God is inviting us again, as we said last week, to press into his heart, to be his people, to love what he loves. He's inviting us to live in submission to him for others' good and his glory. So as we go into two chapters of judgment, um, first, I want you to be attentive to the fact that the gospel doesn't douse you with more guilt. Jesus already took care of the guilt. But the gospel, it releases us to examine where we're out of sync with his heart for humanity. So don't think guilt, I gotta do more for God to love me or accept me. You're loved and accepted by Jesus. He lived and he died and he rose. And he did that so that we can, as accepted beings, join him in the kingdom of God. So with that kind of framework, uh, here's where we're going with our time as we look at literally oracles of judgment. Here's the pattern, okay? We're gonna look at, number one, what do all these uh, oracles have in common? So what's the pattern of them? Second, we'll look at the judgment specifically towards the nations. And then we'll look at judgment towards his people, okay? So that's where we're going to the pattern, judgments on the nations, and then judgments on his people. So first, the pattern, okay? Um, I don't know if you heard it in the reading or if you have your Bible up in front of you, uh, but each oracle, if you just look at it section by section, begins this way. You can see this on the screen. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions and for four. Okay, so what's God saying there? Well, he's saying this. It's not the first time you were aware nations of your injustice being wrong, right? The idea is that this is coming after much waiting and God being very patient. The idea here, it's as if he's looking down on their sin and going, okay, well, that's, that's one. God, there's another, but I won't act just yet because maybe they won't by the third. Maybe, maybe they'll search for God. Maybe they'll wake up and go, what, what did we do yesterday? That wasn't okay. Man, I saw her tears and, and I knew it was wrong, but no. It's third, fourth. That's what this phrase means. It basically is saying there comes a point where God says, that's enough. That's enough. The Bible consistently, continuously says that God is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in, in steadfast love. Um, he is slow in giving the nations, the people, time to come to him, time to turn. If, if you look at, you know, what, even what Peter writes in the New Testament, we read this in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's roar of Amos um, isn't coming out of nowhere, right? His judgments are not arbitrary tantrums, but rather they come from this patience and mercy 
that had long but vainly waited for repentance and change. Um, it, it was someone who said, beware the anger of a patient man. Right? I mean, to have no anger, to have no loss of patience isn't loving at all. I mean, you could just look at what's going on around us. It, it really just shows you don't really have a moral oddness. Alistair Begg, he put it this way, if nothing can ever get to you, it's not because you are such a, a humane individual, it is because you are just useless or spineless. There has to come a point in a moral being in which they say enough is enough. This has to end now. People's lives matter to God. They're not dispensable. And when we treat others, as we've read here, with partiality, with indignity, or unequally, God takes notice. And so it's on this basis that we come to the surrounding nations. So if that's the pattern, look at number two, God's judgment on the nations. We are just going to go through these. Here's what's obvious, though, as you read them. Um, These sins in which God is calling them to are not negligence or, or coming from a place of weakness. These sins, rather, are deliberate intent. They're very specific. So, so what we're going to do is I'm just going to take two at a time, okay? So these will be on the screen to help you kind of guide through, but if you have it in your Bible, you can see within each oracle, in the middle of the oracle, what God is bringing to, to account, all right? So here it is, verse, it's on the screen. So verse three and verse six, he says this, because they have threshed Gilead, with threshing sledges of iron. Verse six, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. Okay, so these are clear acts of cruelty. People are not things. The the word threshing in verse three, it says because they've threshed Gilead carries two ideas. One, um, it's this idea of like, oh, hey, we don't have a cart, just use that guy. We don't have this, let's just use them. People are like things. If, if you read this literally, what happened when they conquered Gilead is, is they didn't just take the territory, they didn't just own the land like in war, but they laid the people out on the battlefield. They stretched them out prostrate on the ground, and then they took these giant pounding sledges of iron. These were machines that were used to pound grain, and they pulverized them just putting these machines over their bodies. And God says through Amos, if you think you can do that, you need to think again. I'm about to come and destroy you. Verse six describes selling people wholesale. This is the worst and grossest kind of slavery, men and women, children. How much are they? So here's the thing about Gaza. If you do your Old Testament research, um, it was kind of like the Dubai of, of the world. It was commercial activity. There was a massive trade center. Buying and selling was the lifeblood. You know, you had to get affluent. You had to make money. Uh, it didn't matter how much people you ran over. And so they would look at human beings and sell them wholesale. The, the only question they would ask when they saw human beings was, will they sell? Will this one sell? So, Kids, I want you to picture your dad. Or, or, or parents, picture your daughter. or Picture your spouse. Will they sell? When things are valued 
more highly than people, God takes notice every time. Okay, the, the next two nations, it speaks about relationships. Interestingly, how unhonorable and despicable they were with their own intentions towards each other. So these will be on the screen too, but take just that look at verse 11. He says this, because, so here's another judgment. Because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. So there you have this idea that there's this greed and carelessness and heartlessness toward your own brother. You're not only engaging in uh, exploitation and social injustice and using human beings as profit, but you have no pity on your own family. This is just this harboring of hate, this these hidden prejudices, and they just, it gets worse. Look at verse 13. Because they've ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. Why? That they may enlarge their border to the most helpless and vulnerable, an unborn child and a pregnant woman. There was not compassion. Nothing moves any human being's heart, but let alone a holy God, to punish so much as cruelty to the helpless. God, in the Psalms, God is called a father to the fatherless. And what's sad here is the motivation is ambition and business. And, and so perhaps cruelty looks a little different today, but but I've seen ambition in our world to build up a business, make a man do a lot of neglecting and depriving, not only of his wife, but of his children. It's not uncommon in our world within the rich to have the father leave his kids for months while building some business and empire, sipping martinis in a hotel as young girls, as young as their daughters, play all over them. God sees that. Look, I know this is heavy, but within this, we can't miss the reality that all people made by God are by nature, by virtue of being created by him, in obligation to him. What these passages show us is that all nations are accountable to Yahweh. That that every human being will give an account uh, for every thought and every intention and every word, the Bible teaches this in Hebrews 4.13, li- literally says this, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. No creature is hidden from his sight. Alec Moyer says, no human being can escape the obligation of being human. And even those who have never received spoken or written precepts as from God still sufficiently bear the marks of their creator upon them that they are not wholly without moral guidance. In other words, there's a conscience, there's a God-centeredness, a God-consciousness. There's a voice speaking within, a voice pointing to a person, a being. And I just want to ask you, especially those of you who are right now, um, maybe you're not a believer. Let me just say this. Let's say you're not a Christian and, you know, someone sent you this or you're, you're turning in with a friend. Um, 
By the way, I'm really glad you're here. Can, can I just ask you, if our world was caused by accident and every, everything in it will eventually burn up in the death of the sun, and you can say, because that's true, we're in the end, nothing we do will make any difference. Why are we working for injustice? Like if what's happening um, with racial injustice and looting and human trafficking and on and on, there's a lot of injustice that we're seeing I mean, and, and, and we're calling it wrong. You know, how do we know that? Like, how can we judge actions to be cruel and immoral? Where do, we, where do we get that? If there's no God, just follow me here. If there's no God, there's no word, no truth, then what makes someone who busts out your windshield any more wrong than if they wash your car or buy you a tank of gas? Without something or someone or somewhere in the universe to frame our existence in such a way that certain actions are good and others are evil, on what grounds do we decide which is which? To chance? You know, maybe it just banged out a morality code while we're trying to survive. Just something to think about. Because, because these nations are doing the first thing which is destroying the rest of the things. They're, they're wanting a kingdom without a king. And you can even want a kingdom without a king and it be a good kingdom. Perhaps something in your created nature has been marked from birth with a conscience, a moral compass an indicator that says love and kindness and compassion are a sacred good thing. Working for justice and equality and dignity, it matters because the human being that God created really, really matters eternally and infinitely. Maybe it does. All right. Okay, so, so here's the thing. I'm sure as Amos is going around to these nations, nation after nation, all of God's people are hearing rumors. They're going, oh man, yes, God is coming down on them. Finally. Arr. And then Amos starts walking into their town, their little kingdom. And, and this takes us to the third point, God's judgment on his people. Um, and let me just say this, we're going to readdress a lot of these throughout the coming sermons. And so I cannot hit on every detail, but let's just start with Judah. So here, here, here's Judah. So now we're in chapter two, verse four. It'll be on the screen. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies had, have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. First judgment. Now we're talking about the people of God, the people who God has redeemed, revealed himself to, given the law, sacrifices, brought his people out of Egypt. I mean, these are those who've received grace, mercy, his presence. And he says, you've despised his truth. And, and you go after these lies after which your, their fathers walked. This is really sad, okay? Fathers, you know, we love you. Many of you are amazing dads, but we know this. The rebellion in some of the fathers, for some of you, this is your family history. This rebellion against God is your family's legacy. It's not okay. 
And it has to stop with you. It has to stop with you. Too many fathers are, are sadly no different. And so dads, Jesus loves you, but we need to stop being afraid of the opposition in this life more than the opposition in the life to come. This is a day where too many dads, and I can feel it in my own heart, are cowards. And they've embraced this world instead of this word. And that's not okay. So fathers, doctrines you begin to question today or are kind of lazy with today become the tenets of tomorrow. There are so many conflicting truths right now. There's so many uh, truth claims. There's so many voices out there that are preaching so many different gospels and dads are saying nothing. Dads know more about their stocks or a sports team than they do about God's word and that's not okay. The popular error of one generation becomes the axiom of the next. So dads, I love you. Listen, I'm not yelling at anyone specific. I don't even have a dad in my mind. I know most of you are amazing. <laughs> most. You're amazing. All I'm saying is if that you're pursuing God and standing for his truth and loving your children is a seven, let's just take it to an eight. Let's just go to eight. All right. Next, he addresses the abuse of power, which leads to sexual perversion within the church. Remember, we're now talking to the church. We're now moving into Israel. This one's sad. Verse seven, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. So you're not only taking advantage and exploiting the poor, you see the afflicted and you go, that's not my problem. And then it says, a man and his father go into the same girl. The idea here is either of a slave that they share, or it's like, you know, the father that comes home from a long day of, you know, taking advantage of the poor. He's had this midday, you know, drink. He puts his Bible in the dashboard of his car uh, while he just gawks at a bunch of women walking by and he gets home and he says, son, let's go, you know, forget your mom and, and your daughter let's, and, your, and your sisters. Let's go to the lounge tonight. Let's enjoy, you know, some women together. I've made some money. Doesn't, know, doesn't matter how I made the money. I made, let's indulge. And, and, and li look, this can happen when you put your kids to bed and you turn open your computer. One fruit of a church that is drifting from intimacy and enjoyment of God's life and his word is a church very impartial about people's sexual activity. Next, he goes, you guys had salvation come to you. You know, he, look at verse 10. He's like, man, it makes sense. The nations who have no God go this way. But you guys, look at verse 10. Also, it was I who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I, and I raised some of your sons for prophets 
but you, but you made the Nazarites drink wine and you commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. Look, they possess the truth, the grace of God. But it didn't lead them into friendship with God. It didn't lead them into intimacy or of fear or of reverence or of, of relationship. It led them to complacency and drifting. Man, some of you youth, you have resources. You got a great youth pastor. You have a youth ministry. You have people you can go to. You have a great church. There will be no excuse. One commentator put it this way, if there's one thing more damning than receiving no grace from God, it is this, to receive God's grace in vain. Okay. So let's just chat a little closer to the storm that we find ourselves in today in regards to racial injustice. Okay, so please, you're like, I thought this was already intense. Please just give me grace, okay? I may say some words that um, our culture has a different definition for. They might mean something different than I do, but I'm speaking to us. The culture is not watching this Amos sermon. Okay, the church is. You guys are. So Amos is speaking to, specifically as we saw in, in verse 4, a turning away from God. The pervasiveness of sin we're seeing today when it comes to racial inequality, injustice, is the sin of partiality. You can read about that sin in, in James. But let me just say, the sin of impartiality has been there from the beginning, and until the Lord comes back, there will be issues with partiality. What we need to remember is that although the sin of impartiality is seen within ethnicities, is seen as clear as Amos is seeing it, within nations that have systems that exclude, the issue underneath it is what we're seeing here in Amos. So let me, let me I'm going to take a risk here. You can email me. I'm going on vacation tomorrow, so I'll just forward it to Jordan. Um, you, but I'm going to take a risk here and say ethnicity is a, a static attribute of who we are as persons, as human beings, meaning it's defined, it cannot be changed. Um, your skin color has no innate ability or capacity to think, to feel, or to love, or to hate, or to construct, or discern. It cannot independently develop a bias or an opinion, either for good or for bad. Our skin and ethnicity has no inherent capacity to do any of that. That's the heart, Jesus says. Out of the heart. 
It's a heart versus heart. The issue in Amos manifests in multiple ways is not ethnicity, it's enmity. Now today, that kind of sin is producing much racism and injustice. And we need to stand with those who are experiencing impartiality and justice based on the color of their skin. And we need to stand with them and say, enough is enough. If there's corruption within cycles of abuse or oppression of people, we, we don't just stand by and only just speak the gospel. We understand it's a heart versus heart. We don't, we don't just stand by and preach. The Lord, we, want, we do. We want to bring people to Jesus. That is our zeal. But, but we pray, we act. Th- these are actions God's calling them all to repent of. It starts with the first thing, but it always moves. The last thing the gospel life in the spirit in you would lead us to think is don't worry about the poor. You know, don't, don't worry about the injustice. No. Change is a heart issue. Yes, it's a God consciousness. But listen, yes, hate is an attitude that is inherent in our sin nature. Hate is an attitude before it's an act. But repentance leads to action. Psalm 36, I think, is the best description of what's underneath in the pervasiveness of mankind. And I want to hammer this home, so I'm going to read a few translations. It says this. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Here's the issue. There's no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes. That his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. One translation says he doesn't have any respect for God. He, why? He praises himself so much that he can't see his sin or hate it. If you can't see your sin, you won't hate it. The spirit needs to show you your sin so that we can hate it and see it as God sees it. So we in the church need, need, need to really listen to the rest of the sermons that are coming in Amos we need to listen. We need to slow down. We, we, we in the church need to be led by the Spirit, and we need to ask, how do I deal with my brother and sister who may look different than me in a way that is compassionate and empathetic and loving according, listen, listen, according to the truth of God's word in their value and innate worth and what I'm called to do and love them, not, listen, not how can I go into culture, adopt its assessment of the problem, and pick up what culture is doing and bring that into the church. Because Alec Moiter, he says this, Amos is saying, when anything other than the word of God is given the supreme place so that we base our lives upon it and guide our lives by it, then it becomes a lie and a source of lies. 
G.K. Chesterton says, when men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. So, so what do we do? This is just, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, am, I am struggling and reading and learning as much as you are. So listen, listen, what, I know you're listening, but um, I asked the Holy Spirit, here's my problem as your pastor. I want to apply this for you. Like I work so hard at applying this for you. And, and the Lord told me last week, you, you can't. All he said this, just let the lion out. <laughs> just want to tell you that, because I know you're probably like, hey, pastor, give me some answers. Give me some direction. Um, here's the direction I can give you. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And so as apprentices of Jesus, we know the definition of love is given to us from the word of God. And we know the definition of love is not unconditional affirmation. It's not just warm, squishy feelings. But it tells us love means you're patient and you're kind. You don't envy others. You don't want to take away blessings that people have. You don't boast like the blessings you have are because you deserve them. You're not arrogant. You're not rude toward other people. You don't explain away injustice. You want to listen. You want to learn. As one I read this week put it, you want to understand. You want to come with a posture of humility. You don't insist on your own way. You're not irritable. You're not resentful. You don't rejoice at wrongdoing. You're not looking for the other side to screw up because then it makes your side look better. Listen. You're not looking for the other side to screw up because then it makes your side look better. And you don't want to rejoice with wrongdoing because, you know, that's a point for our side. But you rejoice with the truth, whether the truth comes from and whoever says, whoever says it. So I think we begin by asking like we said last week, God, where do you want me to see? Where do you want me to have your mind, the mind of Christ? Like, the, like what if you woke up and said, Jesus, I, I want to really be with you. I want to, in my day, have Christ's truth, life character pouring in me. I want to represent you. So would you show me and lead me specifically from a place that I know how deeply loved I am to see injustice and to act. To take these warnings and when I'm presented with temptations to use others as objects or to avoid hard things, to push hard against it because that's what you did for me. We need to begin with God. We need to have a high value on God before a high value on man. You cannot mess up the order. Genuine repentance is not behavior modification. 
Genuine repentance begins with, an un, with, with a heart-rendering recognition of having defied God by embracing what he despises and hating, or at minimum, being indifferent towards what he adores. If you're indifferent to what he adores, other image bearers of God, you need to repent. Sam Storm says this, repentance, therefore, involves knowing in one's heart, this is wrong, I've sinned. God is grieved. As I, as I wrap up, I just feel like I want to pray. I want to pray for us. Um, so let me do that. Father, I just want to ask now that you would that we could almost feel like the, the cage bars lift. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Lord, you, we were helpless. And you left everything to come and rescue us. We are not saved because of our goodness, but because of yours and your value. And I just, I pray for deeper, deeper levels of friendship for the sure. And we would have new eyes for sin we don't see because we think too much about us and we can't hate it. We, we have a spiritual privilege that we're ignoring. We have a culture and ethnicities that are hurting. And I pray that we would be known for what you were known for, which is moving towards those who are helpless, hurting, and lost. And Lord, we know that salvation is a heart issue. We know that your goal is reconciliation with God that will then flow with a new kind of re reconciliation with one another. So, Lord, I don't know how to apply, but you do because you live in all of us as your church. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just roar specifically and we would respond accordingly. In Jesus' name.